Happy New Year! That's what I woke up to a couple days ago. Little kid yelling at me, Happy New Year. Good morning, sweetheart. It's good to see everyone in the house. Welcome to everybody uh, joining us in any room. Uh, we are so glad that you are joining us, however you are joining us. If you're in the house, would you put your hands together and welcome everybody? Let everyone online know we love them. We do. All right, well, we are, I'm Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. We're starting a new series today called New Beginnings. We're looking at some characters in the Bible who had a second chance. And this is their new beginning because it's coming into a new year and God wants you to have a new beginning too. Hopefully one that doesn't involve COVID. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Yes. We just sang a song, I Know Breakthrough is Coming. And I think we err sometimes to think that breakthrough, see, breakthrough is um, it's two ways. God has to make a way, and we have to walk in it. I think too often we just kind of, I, I just wonder maybe there's some of us here that are just, our, our spiritual stance is this. I know Breakthrough is coming. Is my coffee ready? If you want breakthrough, God makes a way, and we walk in it. We have a second chance. Christians, we have a second chance. Every day is a brand new opportunity that we have. To have a new beginning. Yeah. Today's gonna be a little different. And tomorrow, you know what you could say? Today's gonna be a little bit different. Instead, our spiritual stance should be I know breakthrough is coming. What are you gonna do, God? What are you gonna do? What, which door is gonna open? Oh, this one. Be ready. That's our spiritual stance. What, what are you gonna do, God? All right, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Today, we're gonna look at some lessons we can learn from. Uh, some second chances, some new beginnings we can see in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can uh, turn or tap to Acts chapter 9 now, or if you're on uh, a device, you can go to mynewhope.in, and all those scriptures are there for you um, when you go to the sermon notes. So God, uh, through Peter, God brought a new beginning to two, two people, actually. So we're going to look at it here in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32. My notes say Luke. Hang on just a second. I'm going to I'm just going to edit. The, okay, there we go. Thanks. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Here's number one. Don't live your life spiritually paralyzed. Don't live your life spiritually paralyzed. Christian, you're created to do good works. That's what the Bible says. You're created to do good works. God has something special that he put inside of you. I think Satan's biggest tactic that runs rampant in the church at least in America, is not overt sin. Although that's a thing. Like that runs rampant too. But I think the 
greatest tactic of Satan in the American church is not overt sin. It's apathy. It's, it's not caring. It's tolerating. It's just being okay with maybe rampant sin. It's not feeling. It's not doing. Or some other version of spiritual paralysis. I think spiritual paralysis is particularly insidious because it's easy to rationalize away. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, because we've all done it. You can't rationalize rejection of Jesus Christ and still be a Christian. Like, if you reject Jesus Christ, well, you're not a Christian. You can't rationalize that. But can you rationalize inaction? Well, I got my priorities, you know. It's been a hard year, so I need, I need another year to breathe from it. It's easy to rationalize paralysis. I think way too many of us may live our life with paralysis. God's called us to something greater. He wants us to move. Yes. And we'll never realize it if we're paralyzed and we can't feel. I've often wondered what caused us to get paralysis. I think it's the inaction to begin with. It's like if you have a callus on your foot, like you don't feel enough. You don't feel like it. Like you just don't feel it because you've ignored it. You've ignored what was there. When you feel pain, when you sin, and you feel pain, oh, say yes, that should be good. Because if you don't feel pain, then you're not feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, I want God to convict me. Otherwise, it's going to get stuck in me. I want to be aware of it so I can get rid of it. And if we're not feeling conviction, I will not be aware of it. And something as small as a just a splinter, like if I got a splinter in my finger and I don't get the splinter out, infection can come. And I can, I can, if I don't do it, deal with it, if I don't feel anything, I can lose everything. That's why diabetics who don't have feeling in their feet, they have to be like really careful and like, right. do all kinds of stuff because they could have an infection and stuff and I don't know, they can lose limbs. I don't want that to happen to us. We can get that way if we're not responding and uh, keeping a, a humble, moldable heart before the Lord. Amen. If we can't feel, we can't move for the kingdom of God. We're paralyzed, paralyzed, bedridden, spiritually bedridden. God doesn't want you to live that way. I want you to live 2022 spiritually moving, Amen. able to feel, Come on. moving. I'd like to share with you today, real quick, four things that I think paralyze us. Four things that paralyze us. It's not on the screen. It's on mynewhope.in, but it's not on the screen. So if you're taking notes, make sure you jot these down. Four things that paralyze us. Here's the first one. Self-security. Three of these four things are ourselves. We paralyze ourselves. Self-security, a.k.a. fear. I can't move because I want to feel secure. I'm afraid of what other people will say. I'm afraid, well, if I say that, if I stand up for God, then, then what's he going to say? I would rather feel secure because I'm afraid. Do you see how self-security is connected to fear? Fear of what others will say or do. Fear of what others will think about me. Fear of discomfort. 
Church, to chase after what God has for me, it will often put me in an insecure situation. If you want to chase after what God has for you, you're going to be in an insecure situation from time to time. Giving generously is a whole lot easier to be stingy. That makes you more secure financially to just be stingy. But God wants us to give generously. Going when it's easier to stay. Speaking up when it's easier to just let injustice pass by. I don't have to deal with that. Oh, no, but God allowed you to see it, so yeah, you do. Galatians 1.10 says this. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. Lord, let us be people that want to please you more than others. I want to fear you, not people. Let me always honor you and to hear what you say and do what you say. If you're a servant of God, who gives a hoot about what other people feel? Really? Who are you trying to please? God. Here's the second thing that I think paralyzes us. The first one was self-security. The second one is self-reliance. Self-reliance, which is a lack of trust in God. This one's, this one's tricky, right? Because it's, it's easy to miss. It's easy to rationalize. Like, well, I'm strong enough. Like, isn't confidence and strength something that's good? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Good job for being confident and strong. But let's not allow confidence and strong replace trust in God. It leads to uncertainty and We become scared to move because I think I have to deal with it. I have to be strong enough. I'm not strong enough. I need God. And if I think I'm strong enough, I'll be scared to move. Because because to do what God's called me to do, I can't do it without him. So yeah, I'm going to be scared if I think I have to do it by myself. My kids do this. If you have... Kids about my kids' age, you've probably heard it too. No, Dad, I can do it. No, I need to be, I need to let go. Just let me do it. Now, yeah, I got this. Thank you. I got this. That's what my daughter says. Now, I'm not a perfect father, and sometimes I do need my kids to just remind me to let them try. And they try, and they can do it. But our Heavenly Father is a perfect father. Why would we look at him and say, I got this? I got this? No, you don't. You're, you're like, a, like a human. Why would you look at your perfect heavenly father, your creator, and say, I got this? I'm an, I've got this. I'm enough. couple verses. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he'll make your path straight. Psalm 37. Jump straight to Psalm 37. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. You ain't strong enough anyhow. So trust God, and movement will increase. Trust God, and paralysis will fall away. Here's the third one. Here's the third thing that can 
paralyze us. Unexplained or overwhelming anxiety. Unexplained or overwhelming anxiety. I'm going to read this verse in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about things. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what, he is, for what has come. Verse 7. And know that the peace of God, a peace that's beyond any and all of our human understanding, will stand watch over your hearts and minds in Jesus, the anointed one. We all experience anxiety. I'm anxious about coming up to the stage. I'm anxious for a job interview. I'm anxious... Uh, when I was in college, I played piano, and I was anxious in front of before every recital, every time, except one time. And that one time that I wasn't anxious, I was like, I got this. I'm a junior. I'm good. That was the worst recital I'd ever done. It was terrible. And I thought, man, I don't got this. There is an anxiety that God gives us. If you come face to face with a rattlesnake, you're going to be a little anxious. Yeah, like, because that, that, that's a re real fear. That, that, that's a real danger. There's a, it's based on a truth. It's based on a fact. If you're anxious before the job interview, that's, I think, a, I think that a level of that anxiety is normal. God gives it to us to keep our minds sharp. My mind wasn't sharp when I came up for that piano recital that one time, and it's terrible, because my mind wasn't sharp. I wasn't anxious. I blew off. I didn't feel the pressure. But then there's an anxiety that does not come from God. It's not godly at all, in fact. Anxious of human interaction? It's not from God. Anxious to leave your house? Some people are anxious when singing worship songs or reading the Bible. Some people are anxious to even come to church. There's reports of people that can even get here but can't open their door. They can't open their car door. They don't understand why they can't open their car door. Some people are anxious to go into open areas. Or anxious and worked up just to make a phone call. Or anxious to do anything. Listen, this is bondage, not introversion. That's right. That's right. Preach it. Introversion is a beautiful temperament. It's how God made you. Afraid to move is not introversion. That's paralysis, that's bondage. And you need help. It's not an excuse to live life as a paralyzed hermit. You do not need to live in perpetual anxiety. It's no way to live. It's no way for a Christian to live. We're called to live free. You do not need to live in perpetual anxiety. Unexplained anxiety is not a normal part of life. I encourage you. If you feel like you've lived with unexplained or overwhelming anxiety, try our deliverance process. Yes. You can go to mynewhope.in slash get free or go to mynewhope.in and click on get free. Try that. There's a lot of people that have gone through that and found a lot of freedom from their unexplained and overwhelming anxiety. We even have some people that, that tried to go through it and then got so sick, they had to go to the hospital. Listen, the hospital could find nothing. 
Hospital could find nothing. All they got out of the hospital visit was a big AR bill. Hospital found nothing. And then they tried the deliverance process, and five minutes later, after somebody prayed with them, they felt fine. What's that tell you? What is that? That's spiritual. That's spiritual. Stomach ulcers are a thing, but spiritual bondage is a thing too. Don't live 2022 in unexplained or overwhelming anxiety. It's no way for a Christian to live. It's not a part of normal life. It's not just the way, it's not, oh, I'm an introvert, so this is how it is. No, it's not how it works. Introversion is a beautiful temperament, not an excuse to live life paralyzed. All right, let me give you the fourth thing. Uh, that I think paralyzes us. Number four. If that one didn't hit you, this one may. I'm just, I'm just hitting for it. I'm just, I'm just going right for it. Number four. The fourth thing that can paralyze us, selfish laziness. Did anybody, can, can I just see a show of hands? My hand's going to be the first up. Can I, can I just see a show of hands? Anybody in this past week, the week between Christmas and New Year's, have just a little bit of selfish laziness? Just maybe, maybe half a day? Just Okay, good. So, so we all love that just a little bit. It's nice just to lay around. That's a really great thing to do sometimes. God wants us to rest. God did it. From his rest, he created the world, and then he took a break. But I think some of us are paralyzed when we make a willful decision, willful or perhaps brainless decision, to not move. We decide not to engage with the kingdom of God sometimes. Rest is good, but it's a new year. We don't need, we don't need to live like that all the time. We need periods of rest. We need a rhythm of rest and work, or rest and fruit. Be fruitful is what it is. Nature itself shows us this in the trees. Right now, the trees, in the fall, the trees go into a rest state so they can be fruitful again. So we need that. But there's seasons. There's a rhythm to it. I mean, yeah, if everything were up to me, I would be wasting away playing video games. No doubt. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Just, just laying around. Okay, my mom. Just laying around. Whatever. Insert your guilty pleasure. But I'm a Christian. It's not up to me. Like when you become a Christian, you, you set aside what you want and you, you replace what God wants instead. You put yourself under what God wants. It's not up to me. Let me give you this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 19 and 20 in the message. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? What? Let me read that again. Don't you see that you can't live life however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. This passage was specifically talking about sexual immorality, but I think Paul's 
words ring true for all of the actions of our body. God owns the whole thing. God owns the whole thing. Everything these do, everywhere these go, God's it. I mean, I can't believe that God would want all this. It's not too much for him to handle. God's got all this. God owns all this, and I surrendered my life, and I surrendered my right to choose what I do with this when I became a Christian. I just choose to do what God wants. You aren't your own. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Not if you're a surrendered Christian. You belong to God. Lord, let us not be paralyzed by these things that can hold us back. We want to be fluid and humble and moving for you. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in this story in Acts chapter 9. So, uh, so Peter, in this story, Peter just, just uh, healed a guy who was paralyzed. Okay, and we're going to pick up on verse 36. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Can we just take a moment? And just recognize that that's awesome. Dorcas, man, like, she got picked on. Think about her life in middle school. She got picked on. Hey, Dorcas, what? And they're all snickering. Oh, poor girl. All right, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. That's her reputation. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, where Peter was. So when the disciples heard that Peter, I'm sorry, the other way. When the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Verse 39, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood, ar- stood around him. I'm sorry, all the widows stood around him. Cry- the wi- windows were there too. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. She had such a reputation of helping the poor that when Peter showed up and he was taken to the, to the room where, she, where her body was, all the widows say, look what she did. Look what she did. Look at the good she did. Look at how she helped me. Here's number two. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't live paralyzed. Live a life worthy of the gospel. How beautiful is it that this woman died and was missed? The world was very different when Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, left. The world was really different. Some people were really affected because she made a big difference. Paul says it like this, Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on, and he he, uh, describes that living a life worthy of the gospel means three things. It means standing united with other believers, 
2022, I encourage you to make church a priority. Don't make it a New Year's resolution that you get rid of after a month. Make church a priority. Stand united with other believers. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. Jesus died for you so that we can live in a certain way. So stand united with other believers. Number two, don't be afraid of opponents. In particular, um, I think some of, some of our greatest opponents are the things that I, that I shared with us that uh, I feel paralyze us. Those are opponents, but also the people that speak ill of Christianity. And number three, suffering. To live a life worthy of the gospel means we suffer. <clears throat> At the very least, that means we do what's right when it's easier to not. Sometimes it's easier to just not have action. And action is easier than doing what's right. I want to use my chance at life to do the things God's called me to do, even when it's easier to just do what I feel like doing. And that's what Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, had done. She used her life to take care of the widows. What's God have in store for you? Have you figured it out yet? What's God have in store for you? What's 2022 have in store for you? What's God setting in front of you? What difference can you make in your world? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's at school that God has something in store for you. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's time for you to step up and, and help with, uh, with our guest experience team. Maybe you'd want to help us start kids ministry in the 11 o'clock service. That would be pretty cool if we could start kids' ministry in the 11 o'clock service. Maybe God has called you to once a month go and take our service to a place where people can't come. We do uh, little services at Betts Nursing Home and Smith Farms, and there's a list of people waiting for us to come to them. All we need is a loving adult, somebody that's loving, that can go and Take it to them. If you're interested in doing any of those things, come see me or, me or one of our leaders, and uh, we'd love to help you get going on the right step. All right, so Peter was just brought into the room where Dorcas was dead, and all the widows showed him the clothes that she had made. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, especially the widows. I love that. And presented her to them alive. Does this story sound familiar at all? Have you ever heard this story somewhere else? Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Who else did that? Jesus. Jesus. Here's number three. Do what Jesus did. Yes. Do what Jesus did. In fact, in, Aram, 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 in the language that he was speaking, I can't say it. Aramaic. There we go. Tabitha, get up, would have sounded very similar to Jesus' words, little girl, get up. Do what Jesus did. I think that's so cool that there's like a parallel story. Peter's just, he knew what to do because he knew what Jesus did. 
He spent time with Jesus. He hung out with him enough. <clears throat> he hung out with him enough. He hung out with him enough. He hung out with him enough. And so when he was put in an awkward situation, hey, there's a dead woman. Well, he knew what to do. He'd seen this before. Okay, everyone get out. Let's do what Jesus did. We can read the life of Jesus and do what he did. Help others. The team's going to come on up here. We can help others get free. We can offer to pray for people. Yes. Every day there's somebody at work or school that's, um, that's having a hard time. What, what, what's, the, what's the worst that could happen if you say, can I pray for you? They say no. And you say, okay. You walk away. That's like the worst that could happen. Maybe you get punched in the face. Okay, I suppose that would be worse. But I don't think that's very plausible. We can do what Jesus did. We can offer to pray. We can take care of the weaker brother. We can be generous. We can serve others. In Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable about people that were given bags of gold. Many used what, the people that had the bags of gold, uh, many of them used what the master had given them and had invested it and, and used it and cultivated it. And they came back and said, hey, look, master, look, I got all this more. But there was one that just hid what he had been given. And Jesus refers to that person as a wicked and lazy servant. I don't want that to be us. God's given each of us something. He's put inside of each and every heart of each and every believer the ability to do something better than anybody else. I can't reach your family and friends like you can. I can't witness to them and be, a, be a, an example of Christianity to them like you can. You can do it better than anybody. So let's not hoard what God put inside of us. Let's step with what God put inside of us. I know breakthrough is coming. Mm -hmm. yeah. God sets it. Yeah. God sets it. God puts a road there. We got to walk it. 